Hello, Redemption Cell family and friends out there. I'm glad that you are joining us today. I want to take a quick moment to discuss with you a little bit about kind of what our plans are and where we're headed as far as uh, preaching moving forward. We're going to spend uh, this week covering another topical message together, uh, but then next week we're actually going to stop that for a bit and we're going to jump back into our series over the book of Ephesians together. Uh, for those who may be newer to Redemption's Hill or our sermons or our, our teachings, um, that was the series, uh, a series in the book of Ephesians. That was the series that we were in before all this COVID stuff just kind of made everything go crazy. So we're going to jump back into that series specifically at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24, right? So we covered the text before that, before all this happened. So that is the point that we're going to jump back in into a sermon called We Are Renewed. I want to remind you, because it has been a bit of time, that we created a, a really good sermon resource uh, for this series. It's an actual sermon guide. And in that, it's available to be downloaded by you. We'll put that link in below this video, so go check that out. But each week, there is a study guide for the sermon that is coming ahead. So you'll have the text in the guide, and then you'll have some questions and some things to process to kind of help your mind and your soul have time to wrestle with the text before you ever hear it uh, preached on. So I want to encourage you, go after the, the sermon, go download that, spend some time in that this week covering verses 17 through 24 of chapter 4, uh, and then kind of be ready next week to kind of hear the text preached on that you've already had rolling through your mind more than once. It's a good time to begin. If you already have it, and several of you have, that's, that's fantastic. It's a good time to begin, if you haven't, studying and growing personally. Uh, in the words, kind of the Christianese language, it's a really good time to start feeding yourself if you haven't. Uh, and, and so I would encourage you to download that as a way to do that. You may be surprised. Uh, how much you learn and how strong your faith grows by you kind of intentionally uh, helping it uh, by stirring it and reading during the week. So uh, you might also be really excited to see that God and the Spirit will speak to you on your own without me. So I want to encourage you in that. Go download that. We'll be in Ephesians next week. I love that book. It's fantastic. But now for this week, uh, we have one more sermon that will be topical. This sermon is going to be a little bit kind of like a part two uh, to, to last week, or at least it'll carry some of the main topics or ideas with it from last week, which means we should do a, a tiny bit of recap to make sure we understand where we are for context before we start, if you've forgotten or maybe didn't watch last week. Last week, we looked at the Old Testament book of Psalms, the 145th Psalm, and we kind of combined that to look at that Psalm and the posture of, of awe in our lives. Essentially, what we wanted to look at last week is how does our pace of life and our posture of life pre-COVID uh, possibly create a scenario where we're moving too fast and we're, and we're too jam-packed full of things uh, so that our heart cannot process well what is around us or what is happening. 
what does it look like if maybe we've been moving too fast or we have tunnel vision to where we cannot see or enjoy the things that are around us because we're flying so quickly in our old way of life. The problem with that that we pointed out last week is if we're moving so quick to where the heart cannot process things correctly, it will never uh, really allow us to find awe in what is around us and what God has given us and who he is because we're moving too quickly, right? If we're not moving slow enough for our hearts to experience all, the next part is that we'll never actually move into worship of our creator, which is what we are wired to do. All always precedes worship. It's just how we're wired. So what happens if your life is going too fast to get into all and you cannot ever actually move into worship? That's what we looked at. And we really look at a fresh call from Jesus himself in our lives to slow down and rest in and accept his finished work for us. So to let his finished work be the thing that lets us slow down a little bit, we decided that we would look at things in such a way to ask ourselves, can we rebel against the world infatuation with moving faster and having more and begin to find peace and joy and contentment in the depths of our soul by slowing down with Christ? What we were uh, challenged with last week was also to not jump back on the train. When COVID begins to clear and the pace of life that we had before is available to us again, the challenge was do not jump back into that pace of life. Uh, We can slow down and we can live in such a way that our faith can grow because we're experiencing Jesus. Now, with that extremely quick groundwork laid for us this morning... Uh, We want to look at how not only awe and worship affects us following Jesus, but we want to pivot and look at how awe and worship will then affect the community or body of believers around us. How does awe affect us in community? Let me put it another way to make sure we know where we're going. We're going to ask what effect does maybe our pace of life being too fast and decreasing our ability to have awe and worship, what effect does that have on our missional community, right? That is Redemption's Hill language for the smaller, more defined group of people that we walk out gospel truth and gospel family and gospel mission with. Does all affect our ability and capacity to be in community or does does really our uh, all and worship not have any effect at all on our missional community. We want to dig into that question with just kind of honest eyes and a moment to slow down and kind of hear maybe what Jesus would have us uh, understand through that. Now to do that, we're going to look at the book of Acts together, right? That is the in the New Testament. Acts is an amazing book that tracks the explosive growth of Christianity. So it's a book of the Bible, but it also serves as a historical document because how it tracks everything. So we need to wrap our minds around a little bit that the timeline around Acts in order to get anywhere. Acts opens up after the the earthly ministry of Jesus, after he died on the cross, and after he resurrected. That is where the book of Acts begins as Jesus is addressing his followers, all 120 of them, before he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father. Now, I don't know if you caught that or not, uh, but if you did, you heard me right. There were only 120 believers or followers of Christ at that time. 
That's it. Jesus had only that many. What Jesus tells those believers as the book opens up is incredible. As this moment marks, the the moment right before the explosion of grace, where where the gospel moved and and really the expanse of, of Christianity in the church grew largely. But this is what Jesus said at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1 8. He says to his believers, right before he ascends, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, right? You'll get power through the Holy Spirit, and through that power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus's message here to the 120 believers is, is wait until the Spirit The third member of the Trinity comes down and empowers you to do my work in the world. He says in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, we may not really catch what he was doing. Jesus was kind of showing them these concentric circles saying, hey, I want you to be uh, my witnesses after the Holy Spirit comes in these growing areas until it extends all across the entire world. So those believers did exactly what Jesus said. They waited And the Spirit came. And immediately when the Spirit came at Pentecost, Peter went out and he preached to unbelievers around. And the result of the sermon was was fairly good. Um, He preached and 3,000 people were saved that day. Right? What was 120 believers uh, turned into 3,120 believers in an instant. That is explosive expansion. The text that we're going to look at today is going to look at how that moment, that explosion of growth looked for those community of believers. Mind you, you have to process that what this means. This isn't a fictional story. This is a, a historical account of things at that time. In a single day, the community of 120 grew by a multiple of 25. The church didn't grow by 25 people, it grew by 25x, times 25. That sounds amazing, and it truly is, but how do you lead, and how do you manage, and how do you teach in that explosion of growth? All of a sudden, you have tons of people who are part of the church, they were never part of it before, they don't know what you do, they don't know how you act, they they don't know any of the stuff yet, they just know they love Jesus. How do you teach them? How do you train them? How do you show them what biblical community looks like? That is a daunting task. But in the text, we're going to look at it and we're going to look at their new community as we do. Remember, we're we're kind of looking at how uh, the pace of life or the amount of stuff in our life or the volume of stuff in our life may cause us to act in ways that that kind of limits our ability to be in community. So when, when we look at this text and we see the explosive growth and we see them teaching them how to be community, I want you to look at what are the things they aimed at? Uh, What did they try and do? What did they keep in mind as they kind of fostered and created this new community out of tons of people who prior were not Christians? So we'll look at Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47. Look at the community. Look at what they did, what they devoted themselves to. The text says this. 
And with many other words, he bore witness and he continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3000 souls. So that's the end of Peter's sermon where all the people get saved. Verse 42 is where we start getting a glimpse into this new community that did not exist before. The new community, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing them, uh, the proceeds to all as they had need. Any day and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. This is the picture of community under the first time that it kind of explosively grew. Now we see at the front side uh, of what we read, 3,000 people were saved on that day. But look Uh, at Peter's words to the unbelievers when he's preaching to them. At the end of a pretty direct and fiery sermon, which you find at the front side of Acts 2, if you want to read that before, this fiery sermon, it sounded a whole lot more like an indictment against the people about how they treated Jesus and what they thought of him more than like a hopeful three-point sermon. But at the end, Peter basically says, this is who Jesus was, and this is how you treated him, and and this is his character. And at the end, he goes, and now that you know that, you have a choice to make. Will you follow the way of the world? Peter calls it the crooked generation that that rejected Jesus. Or uh, or will will you keep doing what they do? Will you keep rebelling? Will you keep pushing Jesus away and rejecting him as the Messiah? Or will you save yourself from this generation of people who killed Jesus Christ? Will you reject their ways? Will you rebel against their way of living to submit and follow the risen Savior who is Jesus? You have a choice. Do you want to move with the world who rejected Jesus? Or do you want to now follow Jesus who is the Messiah? Here is your moment to choose. Now, I want to make sure to clarify this so we don't get off base uh, theologically or beliefs-wise in the text. Peter wasn't preaching a message of self-salvation, right? That, that's not the point there. When he said, save yourself from that crooked generation, uh, what he was saying was, accept what Jesus has done. Accept God who has made Jesus both Lord and Christ who can save you from your sins. Save yourself meant in this uh, case, accept the one who can save you, who is Jesus. Stop rejecting him and accept him and follow him. Repent, turn from your former way of life to follow him. And on that day, hear me, 3,000 people, they gave up their old way of life. They dropped it and they were baptized and they began to follow Jesus in a brand new way and in a brand new life. What I want to draw our attention to here is is much like what we saw last week in life, the Bible will continually tell us there is a way of the world that goes one way. And then there is Jesus who stands in the middle of the current of the world pressing against him saying, hey, follow me the other direction. 
Peter just gave people this line from Jesus asking them to follow him. He invites people to reject the old way of life and to find new life in Jesus. So last week, the same way we aimed at rejecting the world's pace over our life and how that can really affect us and our ability to follow Jesus personally, this week we're going to aim at kind of rejecting the world's view of community, but also rejecting the world's pace of, of life that can affect the way that we can be in a healthy community. This is probably a good time to, to maybe pause for just a second for, for the sermon's drive. Uh, and take the example of Peter, who is actually just taking the example of Jesus, uh, and really ask you kind of the same question or offer you the exact uh, kind of same moment of the gospel. Uh, has the decision ever been made in your life to follow Jesus instead of following the way of the world? Have you done that? Have you ever been kind of stopped in your path or way of life and heeded the invitation of Christ to follow him from that point on? Have you ever done that? Because to be a Christian, it is not simply to nod your head in agreement with Jesus's ideas. That, that's, that's not Christianity. Uh, to be a Christian is not to mentally decide that you will kind of uh, accept Jesus' teachings instead of rage against them. Uh, to be a Christian isn't even just to believe that Jesus is God. The Bible says that the demons do that. and uh, Well, they're not Christian. To be a Christian is to repent and believe in Christ with your life. Repent means to turn from your sin, your old way of life, to reverse course, and to believe means to actually start following Christ, saying, I need you. I can't go that way anymore. It won't fix my sin. It won't fix my divide from you. But instead, I will follow you. Will you be my Messiah? Will you save me? My hope is that maybe someone listening would, would cross over from kind of interested in Jesus uh, to, to devoted follower of Jesus. Have you ever done that? And, and if you haven't, would you begin to process maybe why? Because I believe maybe even Jesus at this point is going, hey, it's enough at just kind of being interested in me. It's time to follow. Man, I hope that someone would make that step. Now, when we think of, of what all we expect from a missional or a Christian community, remember, 3,000 people all of a sudden in a community, they had no idea how to be a Christian community, and they kind of had to figure that out. When we think of a missional community or a Christian community, what would we think needs to be taught? Right? If you were asked, okay, there's this new community, they need to be taught what, what a Christian community looks like. How many things would you think they needed to be taught? Or how many things do you think that they would really need to be devoted to in, in order to fulfill the role of Christian community? W would there be 10 things that they needed to be devoted to? 20? 15? 50? I, I don't know. What's the number? How many things would they need to be devoted to? Well, in Acts, it says that the people, the community, devoted themselves to four core things. Just four. Not 15, not 100, four. And remember, we have the historical account of it, so we already know how well this, this plan uh, panned out. It, it went really, really well. I want to point out something here for us as well, quickly before it passes us by. The text says they devoted themselves, right? We should ask, well, who exactly is that they devoted themselves referencing here? 
Did that mean the 120 believers that existed before this sermon? Are they the ones that devoted themselves? Is it just the new people who are identified as leaders? Uh, What was the number? Was it host homes who would later let people in their houses? Who devoted themselves? Well, this they devoted themselves, it meant all of the believers. All of them, not 120, not 50, not 200, 3,120 people as one unit devoted themselves to four core things together and hear me, it changed the world. All in, only four things, massive, massive effect on their lives and the world. Now, I realize that their culture didn't move at as fast of pace as ours does right now. But for those people to devote themselves to even that short list of four things, that, might, that probably meant that they had to eliminate or not be devoted to things that they used to do beforehand. Are you following me? For this new group of, of over 3,000 people to be devoted to a core of four things, there were things prior that they were devoted to that they needed to say, well, I have to put this down to be devoted to these other things now. They had to change what they were doing to some degree to have margin to devote themselves fully to community in any degree. Right, We have to get that. We are fooling ourselves. If we do not create the margin to be in community, we are never truly actually in community. They had to intentionally create margin, even if it was just to be involved in four core things. Now, devotion. They were devoted to four things. Devotion is really a, a hard thing to look at in the American church right now because unfortunately a mindset has crept into the American church and the church in the West over the past several years that many believers say, well, I'll devote myself to community as long as I don't have any better options that night. Or I will, I will devote myself to community as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable. Or I will devote myself to community as long as I don't have to sacrifice my way of doing things. What we have to understand is this, I'll devote myself as long as mentality is not devotion. It's actually stipulation-filled partial participation. And what we have to understand, we will never, ever experience a beautiful depth of awe and beauty in community if we all buy into partial participation. It will never happen. Partial participation will never lead us to awe. It will never lead us to wonder. The four things that they devoted themselves to were as follows. The apostles' teachings to fellowship. They say to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. That's it. That's it. That that is what they devoted themselves to. That is what they would sign their name on the line and say, this is what I will be about. And this kind of community that was devoted to four core things changed everything. It was a beautiful community. It fostered spiritual growth and health, and it put on display the bride of Jesus in a missional way that enticed other people to go, what is going on there? I've got to see that, and I've got to look at it. Just the devotion to just four things, it did this. We won't exhaustively cover the four things they devoted themselves to, because really that's not even the entire 
point of this message. The point is more of margin for devotion, but still we will quickly look at these things they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This is just simple base level stuff. 3,000 new people came into the church. They did not know how to follow Jesus. They, they knew nothing of the, the covenantal promises of God. They knew nothing of creation, fall, rebellion, reconciliation. They knew nothing of that. The Holy Spirit had given them faith, but they really had no clue how to walk out this faith very well. They didn't understand how to follow Jesus, how to obey him. They didn't understand the tenets of Jesus, the parables of Jesus, the words of God, none of that. So they needed to learn what Jesus taught the disciples previously so that they could follow Jesus themselves. Just a base level. They're in the family, but they don't understand yet. So teaching had to be a part of what they did. We should get this. The last thing they wanted to do is what seems like is really popular right now. If you would have 3,000 new people come into the church now, I firmly believe that many places would go to those 3,000 people and say, well, hey, what do you want following Jesus to look like for you now? What do you feel like following Jesus should be like? They, they would not make that mistake. They regularly devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to the gospel so they could learn to follow Jesus through his words and through the Bible, not through their emotions and through what they wanted. So they devoted themselves to, we have to learn. And they devoted themselves to that. And then it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. This is more than just potlucks and hanging out. This is a deeper type of fellowship. Jesus said to the disciples, uh, but before he ascended, he said, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. This fellowship was a consistent pattern of being together in a way that allowed you to love the other people in community together. Notice there, there's no teaching plan here. There, there, there is not all these things that equate to love. It's just this understanding of intentional time to love other people. They devoted themselves to that. I will, I will be around you. I will love you. I, 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 will, I will connect with you. Fellowship was important to them. Then the breaking of bread was next. We learn later in the text that this was kind of twofold. Uh, it surely has in mind, though, the Lord's Supper or communion. In the houses regularly as they gathered in these random groups, like all 3,120 wouldn't be in a house, but as they're in these different houses, they would take communion regularly to profess and declare and remember what Jesus did on the cross for them. Right? This was a regular pattern. They would take the bread and the cup and they'd say, this is the body and blood for me. This is what Jesus did and this is what it means. He finished this work for me and this is how the gospel applies to me because I have this regular pattern over and over and over. Let me remember, let me declare, uh, let, let me stir myself to what God has done for us by his finished work, by the body and the blood. They regularly devoted themselves to that. And the other side of this, is breaking of bread was just meals as well, right? They would actually spend time as friends and as community having meals and all the stuff that came with it. That would mean they spent time to prepare the meal, to set the table, to sit at the meal, to, to clear the table. They engaged in such a way that they took the Lord's Supper and they regularly had as a core element of their DNA, slowing down to eat together. The fourth thing they devoted themselves to was prayers says the prayers, a very broad term. 
old prayers to corporate prayer to personal prayer to intercessory prayer. Basically, prayer became a consistent part of their DNA. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't how they started a meeting and how they ended a meeting. It was a cornerstone to the community that existed here in Acts and that we see that, that, that exploded. They were people of prayer. Four things. Teaching, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. The really amazing part of this text, when I was studying it and looking at it this week, is 3,120 people, of which 3,000 had no background in Christianity, right? They weren't killer Christian leaders, and they weren't these awesome people that you just wanted to follow. They're just all brand new people. They devoted themselves to regular teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, and this was the result. All. Their souls, all of them, became saturated in all. When you look at the text, it says that, and every soul had all come upon it. This term, awe, means wonder and fear and excitement, this combination there. You might think, well, fear? I mean, how is that cool? How is that fantastic? How is that enticing? Well, when we become captured by something truly amazing, so amazing that it blows us away, it normally comes from a sense of, of fear surrounding the power of the thing that we're, we're, we're captured by, right? The, the fear comes from knowing that you are experiencing and you are close to and you're participating with something that is greater, more powerful, more weighty and significant than you. So you are fearful knowing that you are, you are rubbing shoulders or you are next to or involved in something that is just much bigger and more powerful than you. And this feeling of, man, there's something so strong that I'm a part of. It led them to excitement and then it fostered a culture of worship. The text is laid out in a really interesting way. The believers devoted themselves to the four things and God used that to give them all, each and every one of them and to give them worship and then look at how the all transformed, how the community looked afterwards. It says they were together. Uh, like they didn't, they weren't forced to meet once a week. They were together because they actually wanted to be because they liked each other. And it says, after all came, came, they were together and they spent time together and they had all things in common. They shared and they didn't hoard for themselves and they would even sell their, their possessions if needed to help out another person in their community. So devotion led to all and all, hear me, led to love and compassion for others. We have, to, we have to kind of catch the way that that formula works. Awe didn't come first. Devotion led to awe. And then the beautiful character of their community was then led into love and compassion. The text says that it even moved them past that further to a place of generosity and gladness. Devotion led to awe, to, led to love, led to compassion, led to generosity, led to gladness. And people were added to their number regularly because there was this enticing community that God had created by his spirit through the work of Jesus. This type of, of community was just such a beautiful moment for mission for them. And because of that, many, many people were saved. Well, how many? How big of an effect? Well, this type of formation, this type of community, that, that devotion led to all that led to these characteristics was so amazing that it transformed Rome over the following years. 
A devoted community literally changed the most violent, immoral, power-hungry structure ever to exist. Devoted to four things, experienced awe, rewired the way they cared for each other and experienced things. What we need to begin to do is maybe ask ourselves, okay, that's great, but was that a one-off deal? Was that just a single moment in, in history, right? Were they primed for a special moment of a special people in a special circumstance and it only worked for them to be that way? Or is this type of community the type of community that could change Columbia? that could change our city now? Is devotion to these four things still a great way for us to find all ourselves? Is a simple devotion to an amazing Savior today as powerful in a community in our cultural moment now as it was back then when the church exploded? Could it work for us? That's what we're asking. What I believe Jesus may be saying to us right now was why don't you find out? See, there's, there's a part of this that's kind of difficult because when asked, could this work, some of us would have to answer, well, well I don't know because I've never tried. Right? Or, or maybe you would say, well, I tried for a little while, but then life kind of hijacked my devotions and maybe I had kids or a new job or finished school or, or anything else like that. But what we should understand is maybe in this COVID era, while we're still kind of staying at home and, and things aren't back together and we're still practicing social distancing, it may be a really good time to ask ourselves, what was our devotion before to community? What did it look like? Not, not out of a earn your righteousness by devotion, but just a sincere, honest look. What did my devotion to community look like before? As far as community, were we devoted to it? Or did we just kind of do it when we wanted? Were we devoted to community uh, and participating in, in devotions with them like learning? Were we devoted to community and fellowship or, or, is, or is fellowship something that we didn't care about? Were we devoted in community in a way that made us show up for meals? Or would we always skip that part because we didn't really think that was valuable? Right? What was our devotion to community like before? Or, or maybe did... Do we just show up to community? We weren't really devoted to much and we weren't even very present. It was just a routine. See, I think if we would honestly assess our devotion or our participation in community, we would all find that there's a million different answers for how we were devoted. But it's worth taking the moment right now, especially before we jump back into the series, to just examine and ask God, will you speak to us about our devotion to community? Will you speak to us about my intentionality? Will you speak to us about how we participated in your body of Christ before? One thing I'm becoming more confident in is trying to do community without all is a fantastic way to resent people, write them off, or become really unhealthy. Right? That's, that's just something that we're going to, to, to have to understand here. Let me explain. So their devotion, right, in this community, their devotion to teaching, to fellowship, to the Lord's Supper, uh, eating meals together and prayer, it led to all. 
which led to the other beautiful traits of the community. Those things led to generosity and love and wanting to spend time together on mission, right? Devotion led to all, which led to those characteristics. If we are not experiencing all over God in our lives personally or with our community, the question becomes, will we ever actually be able to experience those elements that they were? Will we ever be able to get to love? Will we ever get to generosity? Will we ever get to glad hearts? Will we ever get to mission? Right? How can we love each other well if we are not in love with the Savior who's cared for us? How can we become generous in the community around if we are not in awe of the God who has been generous to us first? How do we share Jesus on mission if we're not enamored by him ourselves or enamored with him by what we're doing with our community of believers? How do we become loving and generous and all those things if we are not experiencing what our hearts are longing for, which is awe? The answer may be we just can't, or at least not in a good way. If we try and become a loving, generous community who's on mission without all, it's quite possible our love for each other will feel like an obligation. Our generosity will feel like legalism. I have to do this or else. And mission will be a task to perform so that people aren't mad at you or so you think that God isn't angry with you. See, if we're not devoted to something and we're not in awe, it's going to be really hard to get to those other things. All of this is pointing at trying to conjure up the results of all without actually experiencing all could be a really heavy burden to carry, which really messes up our body of believers. That could quickly separate us emotionally from the people we're supposed to walk with and love. It could also cause external fights where we're literally warring with other people. What we may see right now is Jesus, I think, is giving us our community a a moment to just kind of reset right now, to look at all. Were we in our missional communities? Were we in all of God or not? It's a great question to ask. Were we in awe of God in our personal life or not? It's a great question to ask. And if the answer in either of those two arenas is no, it's just a prime time to hear Jesus say, well, it doesn't have to be that way. Why don't you follow me and let me help you adjust that? Let me try and do a little cleanup work too, because I I know several people in our community um, maybe tend to lean towards duty or, or, or shame uh, or, or legalism or just accomplishing more, right? They're, they're just maybe a little harder on themselves than they need to be. This sermon is not meant to ask, are you crushing your personal devotion to God? That's, that's a great question to ask. It's not at all what we're asking with this sermon. Uh, This sermon is not asking, is your MC crushing devotion or do you all need to suck it up? That's not even what we're asking. The hope is for us to take an honest look at our lives and the things that fill them to ask, do we have rooms in our life and our way of life to be devoted to God with other people or not? That's what we want to get to. If we do not have room because our lives are too full to be devoted to God with another group of people, we will never hit the beauty that a Christian community is meant to be. Was there margin for you to be a member of community and give them time and focus? Or pre-COVID, was your life so jam-packed, 
so full, uh, so so uh, moving so quick that community just got kind of the leftover scraps of you. They got whatever you had left to offer them at the time or maybe whatever you felt like giving them at the time because you did not actually have the margin to give them your devotion. Maybe you had been moving too fast to where you just could not be a part. See, I know at times when I assess all the things that I had going before COVID, right? The, 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 the pastoral uh, uh, pulpit's not supposed to be a confessional, but whatever. Uh, I, I know when I look at the things that I had going before, there are moments that my mind and my schedule were too full to give my attention and my devotion to, to my community, right? There's times where if I were honest, I'd go like, hey, my community got my presence, as in they got me around, but, but I did not have the margin in life to give them my devotion on certain days, Right? They did not get the best of me on certain days, which gives me a choice at that moment when I realize that. Will I allow that to be the case moving forward? Or will I hear Jesus saying, hey, let's, let's change that and create something new. Was there margin? Was there availability in your life for you to be devoted to God with other people before or not? Maybe you hear all that and think, man, I have never had that issue Great. But I do think some of us over this time need to heed the call of God who wants to forcefully prune some of our lives from the tasks and the interests and even the things that we own so that we can become a community of believers again who is in awe. So that we could be more healthy with more fruit and more beauty as we are in awe of the God who has redeemed us. So that we could be communities who have some of the meaningless stuff of our life pruned away so that we can become lights into the darkness of our cities. So that we could be communities that that yell out the grace of God into the community around us. And ones that create a compelling group that invites other people in to experience the beauty of Jesus with them. If you've heard nothing else from today, I hope it would be this. Jesus is at the door. He's asking us today, just like every day, to follow him, to press forward and trust him in all things. And that process has massive effects on us personally and our personal lives and our personal families. But the regular ability to follow Jesus and trust him also has massive effects on our communities. How amazing it would it be through really the, the, the devastation and chaos of COVID if Jesus used that to beckon us to a new level of community together one that sees and experiences Jesus more than we ever thought possible. To get there, though, a new examination of our lives, how full they are, what we have margin for, what we have uh, ability and time for might be needed. I pray that we would hear that in our personal lives and our community, that we would re-examine everything, including our time to follow Jesus. He's knocking at the door, and he's asking us to do it. I pray that we would hear We have a worship guide attached like we normally do. I pray that you would use that, spend some time to worship, and then maybe just wrestle. God, would you you help speak into my devotion or community? Would you help speak into my time, to how much I had going on? Would you just help speak into that for me so that we could be healthier when we come back together? I pray that that would happen.
And through this, that we would be more devoted to Jesus by having margin to experience beauty with the other people around us. I love you guys. Expect some more updates for us on kind of where we're going to go in the future. It looks like we're going to be doing this online thing for a bit longer, but I do look forward to the day that we can be together again, that we can gather as missional communities, that we could gather in a, in a corporate worship gathering together, and we could worship and praise Jesus. But we're not there yet. Until then, I pray that you'd be blessed, that you would follow Jesus, and that you would hear him knocking at the door. I love you, and I'll talk to you later.